0: This is Psalm 119. Deal generously with your servant so that I might live. Then I will keep your word. Open my eyes so that I may may contemplate wonderful things from your instruction. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from from me. I am continually overcome with longing for your judgments. You You rebuke the proud ones, the ones under a curse who wander from your commands. Take insult and contempt away from me, for I have kept your decrees. Though princes sit together, speaking against me, your servant will think will think about your statutes. Your decrees are my delight and my counsellors. My life is down in the dust. Give me life through your word. I told you about my life and you listened to me. Teach me your statutes. Help me understand the meaning of your precepts. So that I can meditate on your wonders. I am weary from grief. Strengthen me through your word. Keep me from the way of deceit. And graciously give me your instruction. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set your ordinances before me. I cling to your decrees. Lord, do not put me to shame. I pursue the way of your commands. For you broaden my understanding.
1: And I'm going to read from 1 Timothy, chapter 2, that's on page 1091 in the Black Bibles. I'm going to switch microphones to this one. Uh, Father God, as your word is read now and as your word is preached, I pray, Lord, for a miraculous work of your spirit. Uh, We are here tonight because we want to hear you. We want to obey you, want to be changed by you. so please do that mighty work in this place tonight. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Uh, first of all, then I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good. And it pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and in truth. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Let me tell you a story. It's the story of a lifeboat station in the U.S. So you've got a little town in the U.S. on the coast. And it's a little town where it's renowned for having sort of ship disasters. Uh, one little town, one little hut, and one little lifeboat. And in this lifeboat station, you've got this little handful of volunteers who are devoted to saving lives. And what a privilege. When there's a, a shipwreck, they have the privilege of rescuing people from drowning. Over time, what happens is this, that as more people are saved... Uh, they decided to devote their time to the little lifeboat station. And so you've got more and more volunteers giving their time and their talents and their money to this lifeboat station. And then what happens is that as more people come on board at the lifeboat station, as the budget gets bigger, they start to say things like, this hut's a bit decrepit, isn't it? Look at the old walls, look at the old floor, let's have a nice new carpet. Let's paint the walls. Let's build a bigger lifeboat station. And then they say, our boat, we've got one boat. Let's have two boats. And so they buy a brand new boat. And then they put in a bar at the lifeboat station. And so on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, it's full of volunteers enjoying a beer at the bar. And then what happens over time is that they suddenly realize that They've got the logo, they've got the name, a lifeboat station, but they've actually forgotten what they're supposed to be on about. It was a Thursday night when a ship hit the rocks, and they got the call that people needed saving. Do you know what happened? People were standing at the bar drinking. They forgot they're supposed to be saving lives. And a small minority said, hang on a second, we forgot what we're about. We're supposed to be saving lives. And the majority said, if you want to save lives, start your own lifeboat station. And that's what they did. And so they split. And they formed a new little lifeboat station in a little old hut with a little boat. And you've guessed it over time. That lifeboat station split as well, and today in one small town there are eight lifeboat stations. But you know the sad thing? They've got eight lifeboat stations, but most of them have forgotten what they're on about. Oh, they've got the logo, but they've forgotten they're supposed to be saving lives. Now, what is that story really about? It's not just about lifeboats, is it? It's a story about the church, isn't it? In a church, it's very easy to forget what our main priority is. It is not about having the best vision statement. It is not about having the most comfortable building. It is not about having the best marketing and publicity. It is not about having the best music or the best social life. Why are we here? What's our purpose as a church? To save lost souls? To win the lost? How do you do that? How are you and I, how are Church by the Bridge going to save lost souls? We need to have the best website. That would be really helpful. We'd have the, the best marketing because, you know, the people trying to reach, they like all the slick stuff. That's really helpful, but not essential. you would have the best music pumping out so when people walk past, they're going to be attracted. in That's helpful, but it's not essential. How are we going to win lost souls for Jesus? You know what Paul's answer is? Look at chapter 2, verse 1. First of all, top priority is a matter of urgency. I urge you to do what? It's not programs, is it? It's not slogans. It's not pastoral care. It is prayer. Does that surprise you? As a church, we're supposed to be praying. Top priority is that we pray, we talk to God, we plead with God. You ever heard of the Great Awakening in America? I mean, for many, many years in America, all the churches started to decline. And people said that within a hundred years, the Bible would just be forgotten and nobody would be reading it. And then suddenly, there was this revival, and literally thousands of people came to Christ and the churches were packed again. What happened? Did they have the best websites and the best publicity and the best marketing and the best music? Did they have the mass rallies with the big speaker? I tell you what happened in America. In little churches throughout America, there was people like you and people like me, and we prayed. They prayed. And they prayed for years and years and years for God to save souls. And God answered prayer. Reminds me of a friend of mine in Wimbledon in the UK. His name's Jonathan Fletcher. He's a pastor of a church in London. He's now retired, actually. I knew him in the 90s and in the early 2000s. He was quite old school. He refused to have a mobile phone. He refused to have a computer. He used to handwrite all his sermons. He said to me, Paul, my job as a pastor is not necessarily all high tech. My job as a pastor is to to preach and to, and to pray. So that's what I do. I, I spend my week preaching and praying. And that church saw so many people come to faith. You know that church, they used to have a weekly prayer meeting, not a monthly, but a weekly prayer meeting. And the church is packed with people praying every single week. And when they prayed, they didn't just pray small, safe, parochial prayers. They prayed big prayers to a big God. Uh, they prayed for all their work colleagues. They prayed for the people on the street. They, they prayed for the people in the housing commission. They pre- prayed for people all over the place that they come to know Christ. Are you surprised that many people came to faith? No, because they prayed. That's a challenge for me, you know. You know we have a monthly prayer meeting here. And you know there's awkward notices the week before the prayer meeting where a person stands up and sort of almost embarrassingly pleads with you it's not going to be too awkward the church that prays the church that prays together should not be surprised when lost souls are saved for Jesus and when we have people praying in church we have some wonderful prayers in church But let's be honest, it's quite often quite predictable. Pray for our hive leaders, pray for our clergy, pray for kids' ministry, pray for Greenway. When was the last time you heard someone pray massive big prayers to a big God who might do a miraculous work in Kerberley and Australia and the world? We're in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and Timothy's been left in Ephesus to pastor this church. A church that's going away with that's losing the gospel. So what's Timothy supposed to tell them? Verse 1 again, I urge you that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for, what's the next word? For everyone. That puts a bomb under our narrow, shallow, parochial prayers, doesn't it? Pray for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, everyone that you meet, pray for them. It matters that we pray. So what's going to help us to pray more? What helps us to pray more is to understand the heart of God. To understand the heart of the God that you're praying to. So what is the heartbeat of God? What does God long to see happen in his world? But it's there in verse 3 and 4. Paul says, This is good. So praying is good. It might be hard, but it's good to pray. And it pleases God our Saviour who wants, who desires, who longs for everyone to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth about Jesus. See that repeated word? Verse 1 pray for everyone. Verse 4 because God wants everyone to be saved. Is that your theology? The God of the universe longs for every man, every boy, every woman, every girl to be saved and come to a knowledge of Jesus. So you've got to get your theology right to sort out your prayer life. When you know the God that you're praying to, then suddenly you pray more. So who is the God that we pray to? Paul kind of bursts into song in verses 5 and 6 do some theology. The reason that we pray and the reason that God wants us to be saved is because of verse 5, because there's one God and one mediator between God and humanity, Christ Jesus himself, human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. He says, get your theology right and you'll pray more. There's just one God, there's not many gods, there's one God. He's unique, he's exclusive, he's the only God. Do you remember in the Old Testament when God spoke to Israel, he said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is... What's the next word? The Lord is one. Now, why did Israel need to hear that? Because Israel was surrounded by polytheistic nations who worshipped many so-called gods the God of sun, the God of moon, the God of war, the God of energy, the God of fertility. And God says, there's no other God but me. I'm the only God. There's no competitor. And maybe you need to learn that tonight. that There's only one God. Because we live in a polytheistic nation where people worship so-called gods. You might have Hindu friends or Muslim friends or Buddhist friends or people worship themselves. And Paul says, there's only one God. Okay, so there's one God. I, I understand that. I believe that. There's, there's one God, but there's many ways to God. You ever heard that? There's one God, one mountain, but there's, there's many ways up the mountain. It doesn't matter which way you take. Let's see how Paul puts a bomb under that kind of theology. There's one God and one mediator. Just one. Not many mediators. not a different mediator for different centuries and different cultures one God of history and one mediator for all time. When you read the word mediator, you're supposed to think of a of a negotiator, a sort of a interceder, an inter- intermediary. So, if you ever done any any marriage counselling, you often need a mediator. It's quite tragic sometimes. You've got these people who they are married, but they sit in the same room and they can't bear the sight of each other. They can't talk to each other. They can't listen to each other. And so you need a mediator. And the job of the mediator is to sit and to listen to both parties. And to somehow find a way that these two warring parties can get back on the same page and to be reconciled. And it is wonderful. It is wonderful when that happens. Now read verse 5 again. There's one mediator, one negotiator between God and humanity. So what does that tell us about God and humanity? Does it tell us that we're at war, that we need reconciling? He's almost saying, if you could have a counseling room and you'd have God in the red chair and you'd have humanity in the blue chair and they don't listen to each other, they're at war with each other. And you need a mediator to come between. Now, who is the mediator? Verse 5 again. Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. So you've got to understand why Jesus is qualified to be the mediator. What makes him qualified as your mediator? Look again at the Bible, verse 5 himself human. That's extraordinary. The humanity of Jesus is important to your theology. He had to be human. So, so, when you're sitting in this room with God and yourself, there's, there's a man in between of you who is fully God and fully man. He gets you, he gets God. That's why he can be the perfect mediator. Uh, he's the man who gave himself, he volunteered himself, he sacrificed himself, he willingly gave himself a, a ransom, a payment, someone who redeems, someone who rescues. And look at the next two words for all. See, pray for all, because God wants all to be saved, and Jesus died for all. You may have heard the story about the uh, the prisoners of war in World War II. There were uh, three hundred British prisoners of war in a concentration camp, and their job was to work on the Burmese railways. And so they'd work there during the day, and at night time they'd come back to the camp. And every night they'd hand in their shovels to the guards. This particular night, the, the 300 men came and they handed in their shovels and the guard counted the shovels. 1, two, three, four, five, 10, 50, 100, 150, 200, 250, 290, 295, 296, 297, 298, 299. And the guard said, come forward, who's stolen the shovel? And there was silence among the 300 men. If you do not come forward, you will all die. You will all die, said the guard. And one little man stepped forward and he was clubbed to death. Back in the camp, they were sitting around the room and the guards started to count the shovels again. 10, 20, 50, 100, 150, 200, 250, 290, 295. 296, 297, 298, 299, 300. He just miscounted. So, why did that person step forward? He stepped forward because he knew that somebody was going to die or they were all going to die. What a sacrifice! What love! Now read verse 6 again. Jesus gave himself as a ransom for 300 people? No. As a ransom for every man, every woman, every boy, every girl. In every country, in every century, throughout history. Now I'm not saying that everybody will be saved, but I am saying that the death of Jesus was sufficient for all people to be saved. There's potential there for everybody to be saved. And when you understand that, when you get the heartbeat of God, he wants people to be saved, Jesus died for all people. Then what do we do? What's our job in this? Back to verse one. We pray for all people. You might say to me, Paul, if God wants people to be saved, then God can save them. Why does he need me to pray? What's the point of me praying? And my answer says, I don't know. I don't know why God would choose to listen to our prayers, but he does, doesn't he? It's almost like he's given us this privilege of being involved in bringing people to Christ, just through our prayer lives. And so if you understand the heartbeat of God, you begin to pray for all people. As I hear people's testimonies in this church, time and time again I hear of people in their life who, has, who have prayed for them for many, many years. I think of Tyson down here. When I baptised you, I met your grandma. And she told me how she prayed for you since the day you were born. My Auntie Betty prayed for me every day never got to live to see me come to Christ. But her prayers were answered. And you're probably sitting here tonight as a believer in Jesus because somebody at some point has been praying for you for many, many, many years. See, prayer matters. Prayer really does work. We have the privilege of praying for people's souls. We have the privilege of praying that people might come to know Jesus. God loves it when we pray. He says in verse 3, this is good. It's difficult to pray, but it's good to pray. It pleases God when we pray. So, so how do you pray? Well, all kinds of prayers verse 1, petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving. Uh, please don't use your brain power trying to analyse what those different words mean. He's just saying different kinds of prayers for different kinds of people. You ask, you plead, you persuade, you give thanks. But Paul, who should I pray for? We meet so many people, don't we? We meet more people today in a week than people did a hundred years ago. In a whole in a whole lifetime, so many people we meet. Who do you pray for? What does the Bible say in verse one? You pray for everyone. Everyone you meet. Pray for your work colleague. Pray for your sports teammates. Pray for your uni friends. Pray for your mother's group. Pray for your neighbour. Pray for the person who makes your coffee every day. Pray for the man who sits outside the station. Pray for the person who lives in that beautiful house that you covet as you walk past. Pray for them. When I started to prepare this sermon on Monday, I was kind of cut to the core about my prayerlessness. So I've, made, I've done one thing this week to change my prayer life. And I share it with you just because it might help you. I live about 10 minutes walk away. And I walk that, sort of, that route maybe four times a day, there and back, there and back. And most of the time when I'm walking home, I just do this the whole time. And I'm reading Facebook and I'm checking my emails and I'm texting people and I'm oblivious to all these people around me. And so for Monday last week, this goes in my bag, not my pocket, so I can't be tempted to pull it out. I've been walking and I've just been watching. And I've been praying. As you walk past the person who looks really sad, I I pray for them. As I walk past the person who's who's running and sweating, I pray for that person as well. And as I walk past Greenway, I pray for the Greenway people. As I walk past the post office, I I pray for Paul in the post office. As I walk past uh, Ricky's, I pray for Ricky in Ricky's cafe. And I walk past Ron by the station, I pray for him. I don't know half these people. I might never see them again. But I know the heartbeat of God. He wants them to be saved, and so I pray for them. It would be amazing, wouldn't it, if God answered those prayers and those people came to faith. See, lift up your eyes, look around you, see people as lost souls in need of a saviour and pray. A.B. Simpson was the president of the church Missionary Alliance. He was regularly found, remember those old old globes that you get for the internet? On his knees, clutching a globe with tears as he prayed for the world. How big is your prayer life? John Piper says, don't let your prayers be limited to any one group or any kind of person. Enlarge the circumference of your love. So pray for your next door neighbor. Pray for the people of other faiths. Pray for the false teachers in our world. Pray for the people that you do life with. Pray for the people who sit next to you all day, every day. We've got to pray for everybody. But then Paul specifically mentions people that we must pray for. It's there in verse 2, a bit of a bizarre thing. He says pray for everybody, and then he names people. He says pray for kings and all those in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and in dignity. Now he's not saying in that verse pray that you might live a quiet, middle class, stress free life. He is saying that we as a church need to pray for our leaders and there is an authority over us because they have the authority to make life very comfortable for the Christian or, or dreadful for the Christian. They have the power, if you want, to make it easy for us to live out the Christian life in all godliness and all dignity, or they have the power to make that very, very difficult. And let's praise God that in Australia we still have an amazing government Amazing leaders who allow the church to gather and don't make it too hard for us to leave, leave godly lives, do they? I mean, my godlessness is not caused by the authorities. My godlessness is caused by me. But we're called to pray for kings and all in authority. And what, what struck me this week is that when Paul wrote this, there wasn't a single Christian king or queen in the whole world. Even pray for despotic, murdering Emperor Nero, who persecuted Christians. Pray for him. Now, if you know your prayer book, and most of us don't, it says in the prayer book, uh, "Pray for Christian rulers." And Paul says that's too narrow. Pray for all rulers. Uh, pray for the king of U- or the rulers in, in Ukraine. Pray for the the rulers in Nigeria and the the rulers in Syria at the moment. Pray for them, will you? What are we going to pray for them? Pray that they might rule with justice and with wisdom. Pray that they might uh, rule with integrity and strength and courage and morality and humility. But pray that they might lead the country in a way that, verse 2, the church may lead a, a tranquil and quiet life. We might get on with living as believers. So again, let me ask you, when was the last time that you prayed for Tony Abbott? When was the last time you prayed for Mike Baird? Let's praise God that we have a, a Christian Premier of State. Isn't that extraordinary? He needs our prayers. Pray for him. When was the last time you prayed for Gillian Skinner? Do you even know who she is? Your state member? Julie Gibson, your local mayor? See, prayer works Here's what Clement of Rome prayed for the rulers. He said, Grant them, Lord, health, peace, harmony and stability so that they may give no offense in administering the government you have given them. And please save their souls. Prayer works, you know. Have you seen the, uh, the film Hotel Rwanda? It's a horrific film, but a wonderful film. It tells the story of the genocide in Rwanda, where millions of people were murdered. And the missionaries left, and most Christians left, and the church struggled. So, what did the Christians do who were left in Rwanda? You've seen the film? What did the Christians do in that film? They prayed. And they prayed specifically for a Christian leader. How did God answer that prayer? Within 10 years, they had a Christian president first country to sign the purpose-driven covenant to try and lead a Christian nation. Remember the picture of the, the Berlin Wall coming down in 1989? I knew exactly where I was when that Berlin Wall came down. And the media were very good at presenting that, but what they didn't present was the fact that for weeks and months and years before the war came down, what did the Christians do on both sides of the wall? What did the Christians did? They prayed. They didn't report that two days before the wall came down, there were ten thousand Christians on either side of the wall praying for reconciliation and praying for peace. See, prayer matters. Prayer works. I remember sitting in a church in Oxford in 1994, sitting like like you are tonight, and this guy walked in who I'd never seen before. The kind of guy who walks in, you think you're too cool for church. We got chatting, and he'd never been to church before, he wasn't from a Christian home. And I'm sitting there thinking, in all my stupidity, you are too cool for Jesus. And so I invited him out for a beer and we sat and we chatted and I prayed at the end of that night and I prayed for him every day during that week. What happened the next Sunday? Roger came to church again. And so I prayed for him again. Next Sunday, he came to church again, and then he came to Christ. It wasn't through anything I said. It was actually other people who explained the gospel to him, but I just prayed for him. I don't know who it is that you know and love who doesn't yet know Jesus, but you must pray for them, surely. John Stott wrote this, I sometimes wonder whether the comparatively slow progress towards peace and justice in the world and toward world evangelization is due more than anything else to the prayerlessness of the people of God. What might happen if God's people throughout the world learn to wait on God in persevering prayer? So when you've got the heartbeat of God, when you understand he wants all people to be saved, you actually pray. And the second thing that you do is that you proclaim. You preach Jesus. Jesus. See, You'll have access to people, you will know people, you'll love people who I have no knowledge of at all. But we're all proclaimers, we're all preachers in our own right. Paul says in verse 7, I was appointed a herald. That word means a proclaimer, someone who just heralds the gospel. An apostle, he had the authority, he's not lying. He's a teacher of the Gentiles of the nations in faith and truth. And that's extraordinary that, that the Jewish zealot who comes to know Jesus becomes an evangelist to the nations. And what happens when you pray, my friends, is that when you start to pray for people, you find it very hard to meet them and not talk about Jesus. Here's what happened in my prayer life. I pray for somebody, and surprise, surprise, I bump into them that day. And I pray for an opportunity, and surprise, surprise, they often ask me about church. I know I'm a pastor, I know it's easier for me to have those conversations. But when you pray for people, you start to have opportunities to talk about Jesus. So let me ask you, why is it that we don't pray for people? Either, we don't believe there's just one God and just one mediator or we don't believe that God really hears our prayers. And I know there are people here who have been praying for people for 20, 30 years. Can I encourage you to keep praying? Because I keep hearing stories of people who come to faith 30, 40 years after people started praying for them. The president of the Atheist Society in the UK you hear that? The atheist society in the UK. He said this. Talking to a Christian. If I believe what you believe. If I believe that Jesus was the only way to bring forgiveness. If I believe that only Jesus could bring freedom from guilt. If I believe that only Jesus could bring peace with God and eternal life. If I believed all that stuff. Then I'd be willing to crawl over broken glass to tell other people. So, please don't be embarrassed. We have one God, we have one mediator, we have the privilege of praying. And as we pray, we get to talk about Jesus. Remember the heartbeat of God? He wants all people to be saved. So, let's pray, shall we? We're going to pray now. We're going to pray a prayer that will come on the screen. It's a prayer for authorities. And then I'm going to hand it over to you guys to pray. Open prayer time, just where you are. Either stay seated or stand and just pray. Big prayers. Uh, If you're here tonight and you want to pray for somebody on your heart to know Jesus, either just pray personally for them or or call their name out loud. But God loves to hear us pray. Let's pray, shall we? Let's pray this prayer together. Almighty God, you are God of all nations. All governments rule under your authority. So we pray for all those in authority. For our political leaders, federal, state, and local. For the police and those who administer our laws. For employers, managers, and all those with authority. Give them wisdom and a desire for justice and peace. Give them the will to work together in trust, to seek the common good, and to share with justice the resources of the earth. May our leaders be marked by compassion for widows, orphans, and all vulnerable people. And please bring all leaders to a knowledge of the truth of Jesus Christ and his glorious gospel of salvation. In the name of Jesus, our King. Amen.